today, <laughs> David and I are just going to sit back and let Jimmy do the entire show. We decided just now. We forgot to tell him. So, have fun, Jimmy. Hi, everybody. I'm Jimmy DeResta. Welcome to Making It. I was about to say Making Fun. I couldn't remember the name of the show. Oh, I've got so many different podcasts and TV shows. I can't remember <laughs> the names. <laughs> Making it. So How are pressure. you guys? I'm good. I'm tired. I'm still having my coffee. This mm. is like the 15th word I said today, right now. <laughs> as soon as he got on the recording, he was like, this is the first noise I've made today or something like that. <laughs> cool. Thanks for sharing. And then this. went on to make a whole bunch of other high-pitched noises. <laughs> we should have been recording. When That's I true. wake up, when I wake up, I usually warm up my voice by going... I think I and told today, you guys this years ago. You're single, right? That's You're not married? <laughs> <laughs> Years ago, I lived with a, a buddy of mine who was, he had ADHD and every other thing with initials. And I would wake up and he would just start asking me questions. He's like, what are you going to make today? What are you going to do today? What are you going to do today? Blah, 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 blah. He was getting divorced from his wife. And so I let him live with me for the summer. And every morning he would just ask questions to the point where I just started going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, every time he asked the questions, he would go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just stopped talking. And now that's become a ritual of mine. Every morning I wake up, I just start going. I was just warming up my voice until the words mm. start to formulate. So <laughs> if you ever have an early morning with me, you usually get a little bit of the... That's just me warming up my vocal cords. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Or if you start asking me a lot of questions when I start doing that, that basically means you've asked one too many questions. Yeah, <laughs> you've, hit, you've hit my limit. I mean, Jenny does that too. Like, I'll, I'll get up in the morning. I definitely need a few minutes to just, you know, have some coffee and like wake up a little bit. And she goes, because she gets up before I do. She's like getting her day started and everything. And so as soon as I walk out, she's like, okay, so today we've got to take the, this kid to this thing and do this and drop them off. And I need you to go pick up the thing and ask, you know, and I'm just like, ah, can't do it. I melt down. But anyway, what have you guys been up to? Go, Dave. Uh, well, uh, I'm finishing up some bar stools right now for the new house. It's the very first project in the in the rental, and they look pretty pretty good. I even did a, a little bit of cushion making without doing any research. I I, I Bob oh. Clegg did the the cushion making. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I, I'm not sure that I like that because <laughs> that that could mean oh I bobbed it. <laughs> well, you talk about like diving into something without doing any research, so you can yeah. learn the, yeah. the the ins and outs of something. And I felt like I had the basics, and I also felt like I had a deadline. And so uh, I, let's let's just dive into it. And if I didn't like it, if it didn't come out fine, I could redo it if I wanted to. Although I will say foam and padding is just stupidly expensive. Uh, yeah, it really is. Maybe I'm going to the wrong source because I'm, I'm, I'm going to Joanne Fabrics or Michael's. And Joanne's is a little expensive. Maybe go to like a furniture store and buy a cushion you like if you happen to yeah. find one or bigger than what you need. Yeah, I don't know if that's possible. Go to like a Bed Bath and Beyond. I don't know. Maybe that's a crazy idea, but you might end up spending more money. But salvage Except something that Bed already Bath exists. and Beyond just closed. Right. Yeah, they're gone. Yeah. Got to go to Beyond. So, what was your what was your uh, <laughs> kind of process for sewing something like that without any experience? Like no sewing. Your construction. Stapling. So. Oh, okay. All right. Um, 
made the bar stools and originally the bar stools were gonna was gonna have this curvy bent lamination top and i never liked any of the designs and so i'm like okay i'm just gonna make it flat and then i'll make a, a cushion for it and the so i just took a piece of plywood quarter inch plywood cut it to the shape that i needed got some one inch it's called new foam i don't know if that's a brand name or a style of foam uh to the size of the plywood took some cotton batting wrapped it around stapled it underneath and then took the fabric or the cloth that i'm using wrapped that around and stapled it underneath the corners were rounded on the on the edges of the of the plywood and so when you stretch it it wants to fold up so i'm like cutting off excess and i tried to make it as thin as possible while still giving it a little bit of cushion so the the foam was like an inch thick so um and it came out pretty okay i i would i would say i'm 96 percent happy the corners i think could look a little bit better and then when you're stretching if you don't stretch evenly along the edges you get a little bit of waviness and it's not a perfect radius going going around the, the plywood. That would help. I mean, if you had a, a stitch seam on there, that would pull more evenly, right? You, you said you're putting staples? Staples, yeah. Yeah, so when there's a, wherever it's grabbing is where it's holding and anything in between, it's pulling. So if you had a, an even stitch all the way across, wouldn't that keep it from doing that? That might, that probably. Uh, I guess, it, I don't have a sewing machine. I, that's mm -hmm. something that is definitely on the list. I th you actually recommended one a few weeks ago that I have bookmarked somewhere. The 303 is really good one. The 303 from Weaver. It's about yeah. 15, 1800 bucks. But I also say always go, go to uh, Facebook Market and get a $300 Juki. You, what you want is an industrial machine. You don't want one of those Juki? ones that come. Yeah, you don't want one that comes in a plastic box with a lid and a foot pedal. You, you, they're okay in a pinch. You usually see them on sets where people have to quickly fix stuff. But a Juki is a big industrial machine, or or if it's classified as an industrial machine, Singer obviously makes a really good industrial machine. Brothers is usually a good, like you want a big cast iron head with a table. You don't necessarily want one of those things that clep shut inside its own suitcase. Those are usually too underpowered. The bigger mm -hmm. ones can sew through you know, two or three ounce leather, maybe vinyl couple of layers of, of material you always know when your sewing machine is will bind up when you sew two pieces together then fold it one time and try and sew four pieces together and then if it binds up the machine usually is underpowered that's why you would need mm. like i said something that's classified as an industrial machine and you have the 303 or you just recommend the 303 i have it i use it all the time it is an amazing mid-level machine sometimes those smaller machines that are either in a box or even a smaller capacity juki or an industrial machine is really only for sewing fabric that you would find in clothes like t-shirt material or curtains or bedding you want a bigger machine that can handle like i said a little bit of leather some vinyl four or five layers of canvas something like that and so a bigger juki and you could find them online all the time on facebook market for hundreds of dollars as opposed to the 303, which is about, like I said, about $1,600, $1,800. It's an amazing machine if you can lay out the money. It is unbelievable. And it has a walking foot, which is also really important. The top foot pulls with the bottom. This will go to my recommendation by the end of the, the show. I have a really good recommendation, which I said years ago, but now I'm doing a deep dive on this guy. He's amazing. Hmm. But he, there's an episode he talks about the invention of the sewing machine. But we'll get there later. Oh, right. Well, maybe I'm going to pull a Jimmy Duresta and say, mm -hmm. hey, Weaver, give me a call. 
Um, oh yeah, I'm telling you, you have a relationship with them, don't you? I, I don't know. Oh, I thought you did. Bob, they you reached did. out so, to me a there, couple of years ago to do a video, and then I replied, and then that was the end of that conversation for some reason. There is hmm. a. I just looked on Facebook Marketplace. We're live searching right now. There's Ooh, one in Toledo, like Ohio, episode. for seven hundred and fifty dollars. Which what? one is it? A Juki? A Juki. It's yes. a DDL eighty seven hundred. While you yeah, have that up, one. just text me that link. Okay. Yeah, there's Thank usually you. lots to choose from. You know, so you might find one that's even closer and cheaper or whatever. But a Juki is a, is a great machine. So many students buy them and then decide not to go into that career, and then they're always available. Or more often than not, you'll have factories that have overstock. So you have a factory that had a staff of 30 people, and now they only need 20 machines, and so they're just selling 10 off. And they're always good machines that have been exercised well. That's usually how you find them. In fact, well. <laughs> I, I, this, this breaks my heart. There was um, a store, I think it was Lord & Taylor, one out of business here in New York. I think it was Lord & Taylor. And uh, godmother of Denim, my friend Christine, happened to be at the right place at the right time. And she got the call. Someone said, hey, you, you use sewing machines, right? Do you want to, we got to get rid of like 25 sewing machines. And she said every one of the machines was like a $4,000 sewing machine. And they were going to get thrown away. They need, like the landlord didn't care. Oh. They wanted everybody. Out. And this was like a big, giant, industrial, like, mending center inside of a Lord and Taylor, I think it was in, in midtown Manhattan. She said she took three machines. That's all she could take. And the rest of them, she said they probably just got put on the street and thrown away. Most likely they get put on the street and give them a couple of days and then they're usually gone. But there's always situations like that where people have to get out. So sewing machines, although you could really spend a, a good penny and get a really, really good one more often than not, they're the type of thing that is sitting in someone's garage unused. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my sewing machine seminar. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So looking at, at uh, just to go down this tangent a little bit further, looking at these machines, like the, the one that I sent you, David, it's, you know, it's got a big table, like a big metal table. That's part of the thing. You get the whole thing at a time. Yeah. And while I'm looking at that thinking, I would love to have a sewing machine, but I would not have a place to put that that's table. That's my first thought. Which, it- yeah, which got me thinking about something I've been thinking about recently about resetting my entire shop. And I'm not sure that I'm going to do this, but it might be an interesting, get some feedback from you guys at our office. We've got a couple of lasers. I've got the big five by 10 CNC and I don't use those things because they're there. And so I've thought about bringing one of the lasers home, the thunder and maybe bringing the CNC home, but to bring it home, I would have to cut it down probably. Cause it's just, that's way too big to have in your basement. And in doing that and looking at the shop and trying to figure out, you know, where would those things go? How could I reconfigure? It's like I can I can make it work. I can push things around and, you know, things go into corners and I have to pull stuff out when I use it. But then that got me thinking about, like, I've been in this shop longer than I was in my last shop. And so it's been enough time that I've accumulated a lot of new tools. My interests have changed a lot. I still have things that I use, but not that often. I've built furniture for tools that just is still there, but I don't necessarily, you know. And so it got me looking at the entire space, which is a good size space, and thinking, what if I just started over? What if I legitimately went from one side to the other and stickers on stuff like keep, sell, keep, sell, keep, sell, just go through the whole thing, not necessarily to minimize, but to optimize, but to, you know, to make it more flexible, and maybe less of a wood shop and more of just a shop shop. 
like mm-hmm. different things. Maybe I split it into a clean room. Maybe I, I don't know. Like I just started thinking about that. Have you all ever considered doing anything? Like, and a Jimmy would just like get another building. So that's not really <laughs> an issue for him. But <laughs> have you ever considered that? that? Just like resetting completely? Not to that extreme. No, there's. Uh, I I have, but it's just too daunting of a task to even think it through. Mm. I'm redoing some pieces of shop furniture just because after a couple of years, like you realize, oh, this could be a little bit more efficient. This bottom needs to be open so I can hide stuff and pull stuff in and out. And this is where I need a drawer. This is where I need a cabinet. Uh, so I've slowly redone some of that, but n- as far as my shop is, it's pretty darn efficient, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. And the tools are for the most part, besides a couple of them are where they need to be and it works for me. So I have no desire yeah. of doing a complete reset un- until someday we can actually expand the shop. And I think I would do the exact same setup. I would just spread things out a little bit more so I could get a full sheet of plywood onto the table. Right now that plywood hits the back, the tools on the back wall, which are a bunch of sanders. Um, yeah, I've, I think I've just slowly so, optimized over the last 10 years. Or, well, actually, and when you laid out your shop in the first place, you spent a lot of time yeah, planning it. Was, it uh, and it wasn't haphazard. It was, yeah. Yeah, I I had, and I kind of nerd out about this stuff where I draw everything up in Illustrator, a top-down view, I print it out, and then I, I cut everything out out of paper and play with arrangements and, and see what is, what is going to work. Mm-hmm. I'm doing that for our basement right now because I'm thinking about taking this room on the other side of my office that's like just a, a basement room. And it's been a bunch of different things so far since we've lived here, but it needs to be a big just hangout room for my kids. They're getting older. They need more space. They need to have friends over and stuff. And so I'm doing that right now in Fusion where I kind of just drew the floor plan and I'm drawing a few pieces. I thought about doing the same thing for the shop, but when I look at the number of mm. things that I would have to draw for the yeah. shop, it's like, nope, yeah, it's not even worthwhile. So I'm just kind of, kind of eyeball it, I think. But sounds like you got to sell I don't know. more so things. If you, if you are not, if your shop is efficient, but maybe not as big or as like, you know, you don't have as many opportunities. What would you do with a sewing machine like this? If you were to get one, where would you put it? Put it on wheels. And it becomes one of those things that has everything piled on it until you need it. I know because I have like eight of them. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it's also something that could live inside. It doesn't necessarily need to be in your shop because it. I mean, I assume you would want to protect a machine like that from sawdust. Oh, well, and- yeah, well, you just yeah, sawdust does build up on them, and I usually just throw a cloak over them or any kind of drape. It is uh, they're heavy, so if you. They're difficult to move around. They usually have rubber feet and they're very heavy. So I often put them on wheels. I have my two my two weavers, which is the 205, which is for sewing through like one inch thick of a leather hide. It's a giant, strong one machine. One inch thick? It'll go through one inch thick of leather hide, yeah. It's it's an unbelievable machine. Do cows have skin that thick? Well, if you do several layers like on a... Well, for instance, here, let me show you this. I have this sitting on my table. This is a knife sheath, and since we're doing that, video... That's a, that's a mean cow. You can't... So look at the, this thickness of leather. Oh, my goodness. That's, wow. about, that's about a half inch. It's three layers of 10 ounce, and that's just sewn right on the machine, just right through, up, 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 up. It looks like it's hand-stitched. At least the top stitch looks hand-stitched. The bottom doesn't look as hand-stitched. But these are really 
this is a type of machine that's it's extremely useful. In mm. a minute, I'll grab a wallet that I made. So I have that machine, which is very heavy to move around. It's got hard rubber feet that grab the ground. It's like Velcro to the ground. And same with the 303. But I do have a couple of Jukies in the bigger shop that I have on wheels that I move around. And occasionally... I do use those, but now I'm addicted to the two Weaver machines I have because I'm just so used to them now. Mm. They both have walking foots, which is very convenient to have for any machine. And I've always put them on dollies. So what I'll do is I'll buy a dolly from Harbor Freight. I cut it in half and then I extend it. So it's just as long left to right in the Y direction because that would be the Y axis. And that's the X axis. In the X axis, I make it longer by just cutting it right in half and then using the tabs on each side to screw to a two by four. And then I make my pop the sewing machine on that so you can move it around the shop. So my brain capacity, it's filled. It won't accept any more information. <laughs> and there are certain tools that I have to watch a video or read instruction. It's mostly watch a video to relearn how to do every single time. And one of them is my box joint making jig, the Inkro one. It just doesn't make sense to me when I pull it out. I have to, I have <laughs> Throw to go watch it. Garbage. Yeah. I, get I a little like tiny that. piece of wood. Get I know. a little tiny yep. piece of it's wood. It's so and much easier to make. Yeah. You can make a box joint jig much faster than you can watch <laughs> on your a video. Slide. On it. I made one on my cross cut slide. It took me eight seconds. Yeah. No adjustment. It worked perfect. It's actually that the video on making your own is one of my most popular videos on my channel. So when I look at these sewing machines, you have parts bobbin is that a name of one of the things yeah. you have you have uh, thread coming from multiple angles it looks like i would have to relearn how to use it every single time no well use it enough times in the beginning and then you start to figure it out that's the problem i would use it <laughs> and then i wouldn't yeah. use it again for six months no it's not that bad it's, it's not, not that bad okay. in fact uh, you do have to pay close attention a friend of mine the other day said, I'm having so much trouble with my sewing machine and I happen to be in the town where she lives. So I stopped over. I said, well, I'll come by tonight. I'm going to be there. So I went over and I looked and she said, this machine is, it doesn't work. I can't believe it. it's been driving me crazy. And it's one of those little machines that gets closed up in a plastic box, which are very dainty and they're really, they're not great. I don't love those type of machines. Anyway, she had it threaded wrong. I was like, the thread goes through here. It goes through here, it goes around the tensioner, it goes through the, the, the tensioning arm, the arm that goes like up and down like this. And she just had it threaded wrong. So most often, if you're having problems with the sewing machine, it's most likely because you have it threaded wrong. It just kept ball. The, the machines, once they're threaded correctly, they're almost infallible. But if they're not threaded correctly, it'll make you never want to touch a sewing machine again. Hmm. And usually, since we have all Google, you could just Google the configuration of the way it gets threaded. So it's easy. When you I think did about run into that on, so, on my, so many people my Weaver use crank machine. Yeah. I did run into that one time where it uh, ran out of thread or something happened and I had to like rethread it and I did it wrong and it just did not work. And then I it went back work. and watched the second video and took everything off and did everything again. And then it worked great, but it made me scared for the next time it runs out of thread. Or yeah. whatever the situation no. was, I don't remember now. You I was just, get, man, you I don't want to have to get like, past redo that fear. this every time. Yeah. yeah. Take some or pictures. you make yeah. a video about it, you post yeah. it on your own channel, and then... I have done that so many times. Like when I, I <laughs> when I go to make a pen on the lathe, I have to watch my own video on how to make a pen on the lathe. 
I forget what it was. Something that I had made in the past. And I was thinking about doing it again. And I was like, I don't even know where to begin. I was like, well, let me just go look at my own video. <laughs> and I, I forgot. I didn't. I forgot what it was. But it was just an impulse I had. I was like, I want to make one of those. And I'm like, oh, wait, you already did one of those. How did you do it? I can't remember. The title of one of our remember. episodes from a couple weeks ago just hits home so hard. And it's, it's something along the lines of every video is a, is a career. Do you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, that's what Aaron would always say to me. He said, every one of your videos is somebody's whole career. That's what yeah. Aaron used to say to me. So. Yep. But don't be afraid to get a sewing machine. It really will change your life. And, and that being said, what am I up to? I've been making these leather bags, and I just did a bunch of stories last night on these leather bags that I'm making, and I've sold a few of them already, and I will hopefully sell more. Sewing is difficult, and, and, I'm, and I'm okay at it. I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty okay at it. And when a lot of people see the bags I make, they're like, I want one, I want one, I want one. And I'm just, talk about design, last week's episode, set up some criteria for myself. I had to be able to make a bag that was repeatable, had to go together strongly, and I had to eliminate stitches. And years before, I came up with this link and lock system where the, the tab plugs into another hole. So the leather comes up. It's kind of like a Chinese food box where it com comes up and locks to itself on the side. And... I came up with what I believe is a successful design for that. I eliminated sewing because I want them to always look the same. And because I'm just, I'm not that good at sewing. Not to mention this leather is eight, 10 ounce leather. It's super strong leather and it would be difficult to sew it right every single time. Even in the configuration that I made it, it would be, I wouldn't even know how to sew it. So I had to make it the way I made it where it's tab and slotted together with a couple of rivets to keep it together forever. And with all my sewing experience, I was like, I want to make a production bag that has no sewing in it whatsoever. Because that was the hang up for me to try and do something cleanly and perfectly the same every time. I knew the sewing would be the hindrance. I can make a one-off. And this week I'm going to make a leather roll bag or a saddle bag for a bicycle that clips underneath the bicycle seat. It's going to be a Weaver leather video. And there'll be a little bit of sewing in that. But not a lot. The sewing will really be more visual accents as opposed to actual doing sewing job. It's, I'm going to do it more just because it looks good around the edges. So I could eliminate it entirely, which I might. But sewing when it comes to the zipper bags that I made is obviously essential. You couldn't make those without sewing. You have to sew a, a zipper to the end of a fabric. And uh, when it comes to concealing where the end of the stitch goes and how to hide it, that's that's always been my hang up. And that's primarily because I never worked in a factory situation. I'll give you a, a situation where Taylor always handmade stuff, always, always still handmade stuff, Taylor, my ex. And this year she got a job at a small factory making custom-made clothes. It's the first time she had to make stuff for somebody else. And her sewing skills greatly improved because there was no getting out of it. You had to figure out, you had to look at the other sewer, ask the, the supervisor, how do I close this? What's the best way? And she said her sewing skills have improved 15 times because working in a situation with, it's like being a musician and just always playing alone. When you play with other musicians, you get better because you pick up tips and tricks. And sewing is the same thing. If you sew alone constantly and you try and figure out things online and pictures and stuff, you can only probably get so far until you actually sit with a really experienced somebody who's worked in a factory situation or worked for a tailor and was was given and handed down skills. So if you really get interested in sewing, it's really important to go work with somebody 
that's not going to let you get away with. I always consider the sewing jobs I do prototypes. Obviously, they work well for whatever if it's a one-off. But if I ever had to do them over and over again, like my so my my zipper bag, the one that has it's made out of fabric with a liner. The liner isn't resolved. You know, it's funny because Taylor Sorton's right away. She's like, "This doesn't do this." You got to. I'm like, "I'm making one. I'm not making ten. But there's a lot of unresolved issues inside where the open. But for me, that's how I can do it. I never work with somebody that could teach me how to make a liner that conceals all the construction. So when somebody so points out a mistake on one of my projects, I'll just say, "Oh, this is a prototype." Of course, that's yeah. all you say. I'm experimenting. Yeah. Uh, what do you I, do? I think so you what what that. you were saying about like you know getting that kind of hands on or next to somebody experience. I think that's the case with anything. Honestly, I was talking to Bernie yeah, Solo. Last weekend when I was at the LBEX, uh, the light burn thing, and we were talking about uh, welding. He's taken welding classes and he's taken a bunch yeah. of machining classes and all this type of stuff. And he was just telling me about the difference in uh, the figuring it out knowledge versus the instruction knowledge and the sitting next to somebody knowledge and how that's affected him and what he's learned from it and stuff and offered to come down and like, spend a day with me on the uh, the Bridgeport and on the South Bend and just kind of walk amazing. me through it, Bur which Bernie's is great because a, those things are, are like without hands-on experience, I'm really shooting in the dark, yeah. you know, yeah, because yeah, any right. project is not like a standard project. Uh, and when it comes to machining, like every one is some unique setup. Or yeah, some unique yeah, and that's or, that's why machinists love machining because it's everything's like a puzzle to solve. Yeah, and they love showing it off to other machines. And that's, I mean, I mean that in, in a loving way. I love seeing machinists show off their skills and tricks that they've thought of, and the inventive ways they solve problems. Sewing is, is similar in that way, where it's like, how do you hide this and how do you hide that? By the way, I talked about her in the past. The Gothic Blois is a a woman who in 1999 we rented the second floor of i had a two-story shop in the city we rented the second story office to her she needed a place to sew we met through friends and she makes clothes for rock and roll stars like when you see like when you see uh britney spears in the, you know in the early aughts walking around in like tight leathery clothes agatha made those clothes in my shop and when you see when you see like uh uh, Rob Halford walking around in this big long Hellraiser coat. She made that coat. I mean, she was unbelievable. She is on. She lives in LA now. She's an unbelievable leather worker. She makes the most insane clothes for rock stars. She's the one who got me sewing. She's the one who mm. sat with me and showed me tricks and tips to get me started. And I had a sewing machine sitting in the shop. I never touched it. I just did a couple of straight stitches. <laughs> she was the one who showed me how to make a pattern. How to, and I'm not great at it, but she got me really started. And, and got me looking at that machine where I could see it as a potential for making projects as opposed to something that intimidates me. She got me past that hump, which is obviously the hump we all need to get over, no matter what the machine is, whether it's a CNC machine or a laser cutter or whatever. So. Yeah. Cool. So uh, what else am I doing? I did the I did the bags this week, which are up for sale. They're on my uh, Instagram page mostly. And the... Uh, we made some milestones on the graveyard house. Me and Mike were able to put in half of the sill plate, which is underneath that big suspended open roof, which you see on my stories from time to time. And maybe after today's podcast, we'll put the next three pieces in, which will be the full complete circumference. And then I could start putting the walls up, which are going to support. And in the meantime, the sill plate is suspended in space by a couple of stilts. And my stonemason is filling up the undergap with 
stack stone. So it's it's we're putting it back the way it was, but better. And that's going to probably be in a new video, probably in a couple of weeks. I just started editing up my episode five last night. Five or six, I can't remember. Cool. The house video is doing well. Nothing's doing well, but I don't care anymore. <laughs> cool. Cool. I made a brass, I made a bronze door knocker. It's got 60,000 views. It's just like, whatever. I, I, now I'm just, I'm playing to my mom and my family. That's it. And those 60,000 people, you know, those yeah, close friends of mine. A, that's a big family if you have 60,000 people <laughs> in your family. No, everything does, everything hits 100,000. And then I, occasionally hear like the sounds of brakes screeching in like the distance and like what is that I'm like oh that was my video it just stopped getting views <laughs> it just hit a wall and is now dead yeah yeah well let's see for me um i've been working on uh a, a, a new lego sorter so I, a while back i made a lego sorter that was like a funnel kind of thing like a tower with different plates in it with different size holes in it and you pour them in the top and they would filter through and then you know kind of land on a different level that where they would stop filtering and then you could you could dump them and it actually worked really well um but it was small it was only about this big around so it couldn't hold a whole lot of bricks and i also made it to mount on the kid on the side of my kid's lego table that i built for them so you could scoop them off the edge of the table into this thing and they would sift down and go and it worked pretty well but i was wanting something that would be like on the table a tabletop movable kind of version something that could hold more bricks and have just a more repeatable design because i was thinking like this is something i think other people could use pete squared made a really good sorter several years ago i think now did the stack square boxes yeah, it's these these filter boxes that are stacked up on wheels or on casters. So you pour a bunch of stuff in the top and then you just like shake it around on a table or on the floor or whatever. I mean, it's pretty big, so usually on the floor. And it filters down into these trays and then you, you unstack the trays and dump them. It's a really cool idea. <clears throat> I ran across a video. What got me thinking about this was I ran across a video of some Lego person who, like a content creator who's like a Lego person. And they bought one of his sorters a couple of years ago and were kind of doing an unboxing and, a, you know, showing it off to their Lego people. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty wild. I hadn't seen it from the Lego YouTube side. I'd seen it from the woodworker YouTube side or Instagram or wherever it was. And it was really funny just seeing something from kind of our community in another community being used as a tool rather than as the product, you know, like we, it was, I don't know, but it got me thinking about, Oh, like I've, I've been wanting to do my version of that thing again. And so I started doing that and it's this interesting combination of, um, 3d printing and laser work. And so it's not a whole lot of building, but it was a whole lot of problem solving, getting the, the thing to fit together. And basically it's a bin <clears throat> that's on a stand. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's on a stand that sits on a table. And so you dump stuff in the top and then you slide in a filter on the top. Hmm. And then you spin it over and it's like a rotisserie. So you can spin it over and it filters everything out down into a little tray. Then you flip it back up, pull like out a, the filter, like a put bingo in a different rolling? size filter. It's like a bingo roll? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Huh. But one side of it has a filter hole, like 
panel in it. And so yeah. that panel is swappable. So you filter it out, then you go to a smaller filter or actually a bigger filter, and then you do it again. And and so getting all of the pieces to fit together, but then have enough tolerance for these like pieces of acrylic to slide through, but not slide too much because you want them to be tight. And it was a lot of problem solving that I'm not sure how much of it's actually going to make it into the video, but it was, it was actually a lot of fun to figure out how to make. Mm. Um, so that's coming out this weekend. And, you know, I don't, it's one of those that I was really excited about. I had a great time doing, but probably not going to do super well, but you never know. What about a color, color sorter? Color sorter. Go. That's a whole like, yeah, that's a, that's a raspberry Pi machine learning yeah. imaging <laughs> thing. Yeah. I used that's to work- like, uh, Shane from stuff made here should make that. Mm. He would be good at that. Yeah. I used to work on websites for a company that made, uh, the camera eyes that factories would use to kick out defective products. Like they made cameras for ball, uh, ball as in the, the canning company. And they make like Coke cans and Pepsi cans. And these, these camera eyes, they work within a fraction of a second, we'll just see thousands of, of these aluminum cans and just kick off the, the bad ones off the, off the belt. It's just, Crazy. it's fascinating how f- fast they work. Huh. This goes there, back um, to my recommendation. I'll tell you in a minute. Oh. Um, <laughs> along those lines <laughs> of the like color sorter thing though, there, there's actually an app. It may be an official Lego app, I think. Um, that you can lay out a bunch of bricks that you have on a flat surface and then you take a picture of it and it will figure out what you have and then create or find get out of here simple models and give you instructions that you so like you could build this with the bricks that you have that's, you can that's incredible that is isn't that wild yeah yeah and it's just you know made for kids so you can like just yeah. take a picture with your tablet and whoa and that's yeah. mind-blowing yeah <laughs> <laughs> So that's that, like, that, some future like stuff. sorting or the finding, I guess, part of that sorting mechanism, it's there. It's already done. Uh, next would be, you know, some sort of pick and place kind of robot that could just go like, beep, 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 <laughs> put it all the places it needed to be. That's not my specialty, so I'm not going to do that. Wow. I'm still anyway, so away. I'm making a sorter, uh, uh, kind of brute force, <laughs> you know, manual sorter. And uh, it was it was a fun thing. So we'll see how it turns out but and then i also uh last weekend maybe yeah sunday i went out to the farm for the first time in i don't even know how long and spent like three hours sunday afternoon just working on the gear with no camera with no headphones in i opened the door and let fall just blow into the (laughs) barn and it was so beautiful Mm. and it was it was perfect it was a couple hours of body filler and sanding and body filler mm, and sanding. And then, you know, it was, man, it was so good. But it, the thing that was really interesting about that, other than just it being nice, <laughs> was that I, I put in like maybe three hours. It couldn't have been more than that. But when I stood back from, and I was working on, you know, kind of like up close right here, a lot of like looking up close at the you know, sanding to see how well it was sanded and stuff. And then at the end of the three hours, I backed up and I had made visible, measurable progress around this entire car. It was like, you know, I mean, the section was maybe this big and then a couple of little sections. But I stood back and was like, oh, like those things are done. 
they're ready for primer, like done, done, done. And it made me think like this actually might be possible. <laughs> like the body work <laughs> may be something a, that I can eventually three years, actually three compete. years in you're like, maybe yeah. I could actually do this. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, there's, there's a certain level of just like, I mean, this is probably never going to actually get finished, but I'm going to keep working on it just to make a little progress. But I, I Come you on, know, Bob, see the ending, get it, hang well, up a couple of no, pictures I mean, and finished cars are out. I can see it, but you know, like you kind of forget like that when you <laughs> yeah. have all of that work on something, you kind of yeah. forget that the end goal is something that you're actually trying to get to. It's not just the next step. Yeah. This, this and, is too much fog in front of you. Yeah. And so seeing a couple of little things that at the beginning of the day were messed up and at the end of the day they were fixed. I'm like, oh, cool. Okay. And it got me really motivated to, you know, if I spent maybe five or six more of those days at three or four hours at a time, the body work could be done. Like this thing could be ready for paint. And that's, that's pretty wild to think that that's a possibility. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm going to try to, schedule some of those days you know so that i can just keep keep chewing at it a little bit how do you eat an elephant so it's funny you said that because as i was (laughs) as i was doing that work and i stood back and i looked at it i was like how do i make a video about eating this about this feeling of little bits of work because i mean our videos they have to be they have to be a story. They have to be a, here's the setup. Here's the payoff. They have to be something that draws people in and in some way. So like, how do you make a video about doing a little bit of work a bunch of times? And that was what came to mind is how do you eat an elephant? So I was like, okay, if I start with that idea, how do you eat an elephant as the video? How do I make a video about that with the car as the example? And so for three days since then, it's really funny that you said that because that has been in my head going, <laughs> how do I turn that phrase into a video? And how do I make it not just like a thing you say at the beginning and a thing you say at the end, but how do I it's, yeah. actually stretch that into a story and do the work at, a, at the same time? I, I if I may interrupt so. just for a second, I just went through that uh, a, a few days ago. I wanted to make a tour of the new house so I can kind of kick off the, the start of this journey. And I was like, I can't just do a walk in the door, go through a tour. It has to be a story. And so I spent a good, a day plus just figuring out how to turn it into a story. Have like a, a middle uh, or, or beginning, start with the beginning. You always start with the beginning. <laughs> start with the middle. <laughs> and, and, and so the tour is only one part of it. Then there's the, then there's the why, and then there's the, the how. And I, I really put a lot of thought into what's going to be probably just a 10 minute video, but it was just like, I'm scripting. I don't normally script, not mm-hmm. word for word, but I'm scripting of how I'm going to approach this. And um, yeah. it's just, it's one of those things like maybe if this works out, if I can figure out the uh, good packaging for it, maybe I need to kind of script my videos a little bit more. I don't know, oh, but it was a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because, I mean, we've gone back and forth on different amounts of that pre-production stuff over the years. Like, we've tried to really figure everything out ahead of time. We've obviously tried to not figure out anything ahead of time and just go for it. And there is some floating place in between those that is really productive, where you put in a lot of work up front, 
and it makes the rest of it so much easier and you kind of know where you're headed and you know what the edit is supposed to accomplish mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's hard to to do that every time for me anyway. It's hard to I I think through feel that stuff every time. Like if I am just talking to the camera off the cuff, I feel like that's a little bit more real but and then when when i script her or when i have an outline it doesn't feel as real to me but the information is more condensed and it's concise and it's more valuable so it's 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 i just have to learn how to talk to a camera that's that feels authentic to me that is still a little bit structured yeah that yeah that is something to get used to 10 years later i'm still figuring this out Oh yeah, I mean it's not like, well, it keeps changing. Yeah, you know? I mean that's part of it, is, and we keep changing. Yeah, and you know that's a bunch of variables that we constantly have to juggle. Um, <clears throat> so speaking of the house, we had an idea for a kind of a topic today, because you have all of this opportunity. So what what was the thing that you wanted to kind of brainstorm about? This kind of goes back to your your talk about the shop as well. Is what do you do with a blank slate? If you, I, so I have a, I have a bedroom, I have two bedrooms and I have a living room and each one is just an open space. How do you approach designing for that space? Where do you start? Have you ever started with a blank slate? Because a lot of times all of us, we, we, we have these homes that we already live in where it's already occupied by furniture and then we're just adding to and, and taking away. The only time I've started with a blank slate is in my current shop because it was like I had this much stuff and I had this much room and I got to decide how to spread a small amount of relatively small amount of stuff into a big space, you know, and then that empty space is filled up over the years. But that's not really the same as like a or maybe it is. I don't know. It's not really the same as a bedroom or a living room, you know, like Mm -hmm. a living space, I guess. I mean, my approach to any of those things is always going to start with the functional, you know, and then like the design and the aesthetic of the whole thing is going to be the last thing that I try to cram on to top of the functional thing just because of how I am. But I would immediately look at a space and like, all right, make a list of what does it have to accomplish? What are the, what are the necessities? What are the things that it needs to do? And what pieces of furniture do I have that I have to put somewhere? And is there a way to make them more? You know, I would do the constraint stuff first mm-hmm. and then add on top mm-hmm. of that. But that's just me. I always get intimidated. I did this room over last year. The whole room gutted and re-sheetrocked and insulated and painted. And it's still temporarily arranged because I just, I, I, I have such a hard time. I got my desk. And everything I need, I got like five stools around me so that I could have all this extra stuff around me. There's like a stool right here. There's one right there. I got this pull-out drawers. I'm horrible at it. Mm. I really am. I, I need somebody in my life that comes in and just organizes stuff. I have all my pictures that were hanging on my previous arrangement in here, all just leaning on the wall waiting for me to hang them up. <laughs> if I, somebody I else organizes something for you, that would be great. does it feel organized <laughs> to you, though? <laughs> yes. It does. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, that's I, like been, that, that's not a jab. That's a legitimate question because, like, no, if somebody else if organizes it, yeah. stuff for me, I don't necessarily know where it is. So it doesn't. There was a time is. in my life. I'm old. I'm much older than you guys. Uh, <laughs> so <is> old. <laughs> there was a time in my life where I was very, very OCD about uh, nobody touched my stuff. 
And then over the last, I don't know, maybe it has to do with having assistance. I don't know. I've had Dave. I used to have Keith was before everybody knew me. And then uh, Dave. And that's when everyone got to know me on YouTube. And then uh, uh, Aaron, Brett, Rob. And uh, Aaron started taking over. And I, I've talked about this before. Aaron would, he as he got to know me and he's, he became a little bit more, uh, free thinking without worrying about what I thought I'd come in and go I hope you don't mind to rearrange this whole wall and I was just like oh my god that looks amazing and then I'd like have at it and then he'd, I'd come into mm. work and he'd be like I hope you don't mind I took Sunday and I rearranged this whole corner of the shop I think it works much better <gasps> oh my god <laughs> I think there's and things just, that you will never just think do of that yeah, when somebody else does something exactly. for you, 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 I was never really good at it. Yeah. Like I didn't want anybody touching my stuff, but not because I, I just. It was really because it was so messy, and I knew where everything was because nothing had a place. Like yeah. if I put my watch right here beside my computer on pile, if I can turn my camera, there's a pile of five very expensive watches, watches just sitting <laughs> on top of one another. <laughs> like if anybody saw these watches, they would take them away from me. And be like, you don't deserve to own these expensive watches. <laughs> And I just don't want anybody touching them because I know that's where I left them. They're fine there. Don't touch them. Versus somebody coming in and going, oh, you know what you need? This would be nice if they were in a drawer with like a velvet lining. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. Could you make that for me? That would be awesome. So I need somebody like that in my life. Somebody that, would, mm. I mean, Rob is good. Rob does more industrial technical stuff. But when it comes to just arranging things, I, I, I don't, I, I, I miss that. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I mm, miss, of yeah. course, I miss Aaron. But the um, he was the first person in my life that like took complete charge, mm. without waiting for me to be like, okay, let's organize this shelf. He like just took him. He's like, you know what? The way you had it was obviously just random. Just, I took time to put it in color order and size order and chemical order, whatever it was. He sorted through a box of bolts that I had and then put them in every drawer. He's like, this just seems to work better. I hope you don't mind. I'm like, no, that's awesome. Like mm. if you saw my stories yesterday, I bought the Milwaukee little snap lid box for the Dremel tools that I recently bought. I bought the one that I didn't like, and then I bought a Milwaukee version. And I want to put them in a case. So I know like that case has all my, I could just grab and go with that. And I can go to a job site if I needed to, or go to a different part of my my kingdom and fix something over <laughs> there in a different domain. And having the box with all the stuff in it. And so I tried to get a little snap box that has like, you know, I could put all the cutting heads in this one and all the grinder heads in that one and all the sanding discs in that one and nothing fit together. And I just said, you know what? I'll use these for cups for something else. And I just dumped everything into the box, threw the grinders in it and closed the lid. I'm like, nothing's going to fall out of this box. Every cutting head is in there mixed with every other cutting head. But you know what? They're all in this box. That's mm. my organization. Can I, I have a little gripe. And it Go. drives me bonkers. <laughs> any any box, I have DeWalt ones. I think Milwaukee makes a similar one. Any any kind of box that is meant to separate nuts and bolts and washers and all of that, they have the little dividers so you can make the spaces that you want. Eventually, <laughs> those little dividers, they start to pull up and then all the they mix underneath. <laughs> and then even when yeah. you buy a full set of like machine screws with the different sizes and everything, they come in these little cases and those little dividers they pull up and they all get mixed together 
Yeah. That's why I just mix them together when I get them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know I can take a little bit of CA glue and just lock them in place, but... Ugh. The yeah, Milwaukee, but you have to take everything out yeah, to do that. Yeah. I, mean, I will not, say this. Yeah. I'm not... This isn't a commercial for Milwaukee because everybody knows how much I loathe all tool companies. <laughs> but Milwaukee makes this pack-out system where if you do have a, a cup full of screws, it is completely in its own cup, which fits into a tray. Mm. And then when you close the lid, the lid actually pops into the cup so you can flip it in any direction nothing gets mixed in fact it's a little annoying because if your cups are overfilled the lid won't close you always need to leave a little bit of airspace at the top of of any one of these cups and so i've been really kind of getting into that system i actually enjoy it and that's why i thought it would be good to have one of these little small snap lids and have at least one or two boxes in there but the cutting tools don't fit in that box so i was like you know what? let me take these cups out i'll use them somewhere else in my Milwaukee packout system, and I'll just use this whole entire empty case you, for everything. You just inspired mm. me to quickly design maybe like a little two inch by two inch square cup, rounded rounded edges, so the nuts and bolts don't get to the side, and a little pull handle right in the middle of it, so I could pull it out and take it to. Oh, the that's a nice idea. Yeah, and that's I should just nice have idea. my three D printers just running all day making those things. <laughs> Yeah, how about if you, we, we talked about possibly brainstorming this room up. Wouldn't it be cool if you had, inspired by the packout system or any type of tool system where you, you organize stuff, imagine a whole room like that. Mm. Now, I don't know what that means exactly, but the bed or the day bed, whatever, looks just like it's made out of plastic and it can be like modulated. The pillows all fit together, but they could fit somewhere else too. I don't know, I'm just brainstorming out huh. I've, the table the stools everything you could put them in a corner of a room and it'll be like all blocked together mm-hmm. no empty airspace but you could pull them apart and they could be individual parts but you could push them all together and they could become one thing like the stools and the seats can all come together and become a bigger table yeah i don't know yeah i've seen stuff like that where yeah you have uh you know that's why i i love the the apple crates the movie apple crates you ever see those things that they use on movies and mm-hmm. tv no. shoots yeah. the apple apple boxes not crates apple boxes i love those because you could put four together and make a little stage you could put four together in the second position and then it's a stage but it's higher it's a little smaller and you could i constantly sit on them so i'm always looking around the shop to grab one to sit on like last night i welded something and I was, I was like, I can get the rolling chair with the cushion. I'm like, no, I'd rather sit on the Apple box. It happens to be something nice about it where I could kind of move around and it's not going to move. It's not going to mm. roll. But if you set up a room with modular furniture, I don't know. What does that look well, like? What is, what is the intent? Let's go back to the room. Like what is, you have a bedroom. Mm-hmm. Let's take one of the bedrooms. Is it just a bedroom? Is there any requirement? No, Are there any things a, that have to be there? There there needs to be this cohesive feel between all the pieces. When Jimmy talks about like modular furniture, mm-hmm. one of the beautiful things about modular furniture is they all look like it belongs. They all are, uh, it's, a, it's a set, it looks together. So I am not just making a bed and some nightstands. I am making uh, a set. Like, like you would go to Williams-Sonoma and you would buy a, a full set or and and so I'm trying to work like that, and even the artwork on the wall and the 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 color of the walls, the paneling that we're going to choose. I want there to be a feel for each room, and this is not something I've done because everything has been so individual. And sometimes, like oh well, there's a there's the Pachuto style, which is 
basically Danish modern, mid-century modern stuff. And but each piece has always been individual. Now it's like it's trying to create this flow, and this is going to all hmm. tie into my pick of the week. So. Mm. so you you talking about it that way makes me think that maybe a good way to make those things individual but cohesive is just to start to dissect. You know, maybe you have a table or something that you've already made that you're like, this is the this is the thing. This is the aesthetic. This is the direction I want all of those pieces to inherit. So dissect that piece. I used this kind of curve. All the curves need to be mm-hmm. a variation of this. I used this thickness of tabletop. All of the surfaces need to be this. You know, start to yep. break down some like requirements. Then when you go to design a bedside table, it doesn't have to stand alone or it can stand alone, but you also have a set of criteria that you're like, well, okay, I'm yep. going to design this thing, but it's going to have this thickness. And it's going to have this curve and it's going to have this leg, whatever taper. Um, and so, you know, you could dissect something that you like to build some criteria, design criteria for other stuff. I haven't actually thought I I've been collecting, I've been into mood boards lately of just collecting ideas and, and I've been doing that and I've been like circling like I like I like the way this looks on this particular piece. But I have not set a list of criteria like that that thickness or that curve. And it, that is definitely something I need to do for sure. So when I when I model something in fusion, and I know this is different, but the, there's a crossover. When I think about I'm gonna model this bottle. This this is a juice bottle from model this local bottle. place. This is a so if I'm going to model this bottle, I start to look at all of the things that I could turn into parameters. The width of the bottle, the radius on the bottom, how thick is the cap, all of those d- detail things, and I write all of them down and with the measurement. And then before I start actually drawing anything, I'll go in and fill out the parameters with all of those things named correctly. Then when I go to build it, I just use the names of the ob- the cap thickness and you know, bottom radius and whatever. And so I think if you took that same approach to define the things that are unique about that particular object, and maybe you don't have to go that far because you're talking about a style, not a particular object, but I think the same thing applies. You write down the things that are important, the things that make that unique, the things that you would want to recreate. You make a list of them, and then you use them to inform a new design. So I think you could do that like from the aesthetic standpoint or from like a construction, Mm -hmm. you know, like maybe you're thinking about, I don't know, joinery. You could do it the same way. It may not be visible stuff, but it would at least make consistent across multiple pieces. Yeah. Well, especially if you're doing joinery, you maybe you have to create a custom jig for one piece, but that custom jig now is usable for all the pieces within that particular room. Sure. Yeah. That's so you have two bedrooms and what was the other one? Living room. Living room Ooh. And, a, and a tiny little office. Yeah. So the living room is, so the bedrooms, I would imagine you could apply, like, you're probably not going to do the exact same aesthetic between the two of them. Two, two, right? two completely so different like bedrooms. This yep. one and that one. The living room is the big shared yeah. crossover space that, that most people will be in. Yeah. Is there going to be a and theme, all, Dave? Like, is there an overall theme for the house? Clowns? Like a, <laughs> is that what you said? Clowns? You're going to have clowns throughout the Because I have a theme for my graveyard house, which I probably talked about publicly, but I'll tell you about it. <laughs> Ghosts? Yeah, there is def- yeah. There's definitely a theme. I haven't, I don't, I, I don't have a phrase or a word for it, but 
I know what it is in my head. It's the Pachuto theme, right? Throughout the entire mm-hmm. house, there's that particular feel. It is supposed to be, it's not only a, a, a house that we're kind of designing as a from a woodworker's perspective from the ground up, but it's also, it's a gallery of my work. Like the whole thing, it's like, I've never been invited to show my pieces at a gallery. So I'm making my own and this is, this is what it, what it is. So it's, I want each room to have this cohesive feel to it, but I also want each piece to have a, an element of that's a little bit different or that's really cool or that's well-designed type feel. Mm. Nice. Like a fit and finish and care to everything. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to my house, the theme, the overall theme is junk drawer. (laughs) (laughs) or pre-hoarder pre-hoarder that's that's what the era of my house is junk drawer pre-hoarder no my house actually isn't that bad i'm just kidding around my office we got used to airbnb in the house 10 years ago and so this office happened to be the place that we would screw the door shut so everything would get thrown into this particular room and i'd screw the door shut so this room became the junk drawer for it's like last minute. Any personal things got thrown mm. in here, and the door got screwed shut. Obviously, we don't. I don't Airbnb the house anymore. But the um, this room is sort of my junk drawer. But I really make an effort to keep it quelled. It, many people who know me personally know my dad is a legitimate hoarder. My dad literally turned into a hoarder in his old age. My dad's going to be eighty four, and we recently spent. I don't think I did any stories on this. About a month ago, me and my siblings, who are here in New York, we went to my dad's house and hired a dumpster and threw away probably 10% of what needs to get thrown away. And Mm. he gave away, we convinced him to give away a van he had, which was completely full of tools. He hasn't driven the thing in 10 years. So he gave the van away. So he's better. He's getting better. He's not one of these guys that sits near the dumpster crying. I need that. I need that a little bit, but not nearly like he gave away. (laughs) He gave, he literally let us throw away 80% of what I expected him to not let us throw away. So he was getting really good. He's getting better at letting go of stuff. We need to attack the inside of the house. But I always have that in my back. That's in my rearview mirror. Mm. Like, I don't I don't want that in my life. And that's partly partly why outwardly I, I, with Rob, we've decided to just sell so many things. Rob handles the, the Facebook market stuff. Anything, I'm like, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. Because for years I've taken in, when I moved up here, I took in so much free stuff from people. Just because it's cool or it's going to go in a recycling bin, I'm like, let me have it. And so now I'm, it's either restored and I'm selling it off or I'm giving it away. A lot of things I just give away because nobody wants to buy it because it's an odd thing. Anyway, uh, I'm really conscious to try not to let the house become a hoarder house. That's a long-winded way of saying that. And I really make an effort to get rid of stuff and put stuff outside and give it away, whatever. Mm. So that's always my fear. And But when it comes down to really making fine decisions, with this new house, talk about a blank slate, the graveyard house, I started collecting things for a look and a feel. So when I come across something, I put it in the barn, which is it's associated with the property. And I say this, I don't know if I said this publicly, but I want the house to be mortuary chic. I want interesting <laughs> mortuary stuff. Yeah. So mostly mortuary turn of the century chic. mortuary mm-hmm. stuff. So I bought a I bought a embalming table from 1880s. And it, the table's made completely out of porcelain, which I've come to learn in the last few years. People say porcelain, porcelain, porcelain. I didn't ever really understood what that meant. 
is basically made out of a clay that gets fired very, very high. So porcelain is much stronger than your average ceramic. So it's a porcelain table completely made out of porcelain, which makes it it's probably six, five, six hundred pounds. Yeah. It, it's like a if you took a, a clawfoot bathtub and like morphed it into a flat slab, that's what this looks like. Wow. So I'm trying to find stuff in that era. Maybe I might find like a cool wheelchair. So the whole thing is going to kind of have this like morbid museum quality to it. That's really what I'm going for for the house. I'm definitely going to have to make a lot of stuff outside of just making the house and the rooms and stuff. So I've been collecting little bits and pieces of architectural stuff for that. So <clears throat> that is definitely the conscious effort that I'm going to put into that house. And because I'm not going to live there, there's certainly not going to be any... Uh, I'm trying to think of the word extensive, uh, unnecessary stuff that I don't need. Like here, mm -hmm. there's things I need because I live here. That's our approach. Over there, watches. Yeah, it's going to be just what's necessary just to make it yeah. a house. If you, if a friends come, like, oh, go live at the graveyard house for the week. Everything you need is there. There's just a couple of cute personal collections that I've gotten. You know, maybe a couple of human skulls, a couple of resting pieces yeah. on the wall, that kind of stuff. Typical, you typical. Know. Mortuary what am I going to do with all these skulls? Yeah. I guess I should put them in my other yeah. house. <laughs> There's yeah. something freeing about designing this other house that it doesn't matter. Like when I make something for our living room, it is something I have to look at every single day. It is something I have to use every day. It is something I share with my wife and my dogs and so there seems to be a lot of pressure on the stuff I make for this house. I don't know why, but that pressure isn't there on this other house, even though I'm trying to make sure everything is tied together. Well, because like you're not even making that for someone else to have to look at every day. You're making it for someone to have to look at for a couple yeah. of days. If it's a short-term rental or a rental of any kind, like they don't have to live with yeah. it. They just have to be there. So it's as long as it doesn't look terrible, mm -hmm. you're probably good. <laughs> Well, that's cool. Um, I'm excited to see how you how you solve that, how yeah. you tackle that. I, and and it feels like a lot of upfront work. Oh, yeah. Like, to get uh, the idea. I, I would love to have everything designed first for each room and then build, but it, it, I, I can't work like that. I, I, it would, I wouldn't be able to make it. It's too daunting yeah. for me. So I'm going to start with, you know, a, a piece for each room and then just build from there. And I wasn't necessarily looking for input or ideas. I just wanted to know if you guys have had this particular experience and how you approached it. And it sounds like Jimmy's totally going through the same thing with the graveyard house. Junk drawer. Junk drawer. <laughs> Junk drawer approach. No, with the house, obviously. <laughs> I want the house to feel like a museum from like the 1890s. It's kind of the feel that I'm, that's, that, that's what I want. That's yeah. the theme I want. I'm not going to really change the exterior of the house other than just to restore it back to good, sturdy, well-insulated bones. Uh, last night, I, 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 got my, I got my building permit last night, even though I started. <laughs> I went to the house the other day, and there was a building permit application like floating around inside the house. The, the town building permit guy, Dave, nice guy. I'm on his good side. He likes me because we did all these projects here at the house with him. And... I thought I bought the house with a permit. He's, but last night he cleared up. He said, no, the permit that was on the house has expired, so you need to apply for a new one. So I did last night. Everything seemed fine. And uh, he, he, was, he, he, he grew up here, and he thanked me for 
tackling the project and doing the house the right way. So it was, it went well. I was a little nervous that when I saw the thing, like we keep missing each other. He only works a couple of days a week, so he's never around. And so when I saw the application, it was like a packet with like 50 pages in it and it says all the requirements for the county and town. And when I saw that floating around inside, he opened the door to the house, threw it inside and closed the door. And so when I saw it like on the floor blowing, I'm like, hmm, I don't remember bringing that. <laughs> thick packet of information pages here and i picked it up and it says east Durham have you, building permit application i was like oh i got it i got it i understand now have you mentioned what you're going to do with the house when it's done or is this just a project it's a project me and howard have been talking about buying property up here for a really long time i mean since we actually got together and when we finally found this it's it's, on, it's a nice setting it's a beautiful setting and I said, if we wanted to modify anything, it's already halfway there. It's already been gutted completely. I don't have to deal with plaster. I don't have to remove rooms. He, this gentleman before me did everything. So it would seem like a perfect opportunity to get into it. And once it's done, I'll probably have it either as a, as a spillover if I ever did an event, have people stay there. And obviously, you could Airbnb it. I could rent it for whomever. Uh, Howard could use it for his family. It's just going to be a, an extra house. And then if things get to a situation where we had with COVID, where people were buying houses up here for 200% of the asking price, it's, you know, 50% of the asking price, 150% of the asking price, I should say, it, I could maybe cash out and be like, you know what, let's do it. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, but more than more than anything right now, the priority is just making making things right there and then getting in collecting uh, collecting content is uh, uh will guests be allowed to touch the human skulls they'll all be under glass domes okay okay there'll be one on the door you're gonna have to use as a knob that's amazing the doorknob <laughs> that is absolutely amazing uh, and there's gonna be like heads on pikes all around mm -hmm. the outside so you know when you walk wow yeah. you're gonna get a lot of people <laughs> what's the style that? called again uh mortuary mm. chic dot com i'd grab that right now <laughs> yeah you might want to grab that <laughs> we have a couple of days before you say it out loud <laughs> cool well um i want to thank our patreon supporters who help you guys buy houses i'm just kidding that helped the show happen <laughs> uh, we are very grateful for everybody that helps us out we did have a little weird thing and i wanted to throw this out there because i, I posted on patreon this last month a couple of our episodes, we forgot to market as like a paid thing. So people didn't get charged for a couple episodes. I went back and created posts that charged for those. They will all be on next month, whatever. If you're a Patreon member, you probably saw that. But regardless, thank you for your support. Thanks for uh, being around, for giving us ideas for shows, for you know all the comments and messages and stuff we get through Patreon. It's really cool, and anybody can join it at any level. Everybody gets the after show, which is more of us talking about usually secret stuff, upcoming stuff. Uh, we're doing video for the after show now as well. So if you want to join that, you can go to patreon.com slash making it, and then you can join any level. But our top supporters over there are Corey Ward, Albert's Woodworks, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, Chad's Custom Creations, Rich at Lowen Designs, Odin Leather Goods, Sean Beckner, Adam Grove, Scott at Dad It Yourself DIY, The New Janky Workshop, Warren Works, Michael Manegin, The Web Wrench, Specialties, and Crabtree Creative. Big thanks to them because they go above and beyond and have for a long time. 
and we're very grateful for everybody over there. So thank you. Thank you, guys. Do you guys have anything to recommend? This yes, week? I've been chopping okay. up a bit. Um, All right, well, say it. I have to make sure I say his name right, so I'm going to look at my history. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 where is it? Come on now. The Secret Chomping Life of... at the bit. The Secret Life of Machines with Tim Hunkin. I've devoured like six of his videos in the last two days. You guys know Tim Hunkin? I don't. We, we talked to him. The Secret Life of Machines. He's uh, very famous in England because he was... The show, it's, it's, it's like... Uh, <clears throat> Top Gear, but for machines. And it's just, it was all made in the 80s, and the videos are still just as important. The Secret Life of Machines, Tim Hunkin. And I'm actually just on his personal channel, where which is interesting because he'll do... These were all seem like they were kind of reposted about two or three years ago. He'll show the episode, and in the episode, he's 30, 40 years younger than he is now. He might I don't even know if he's still alive. He's an old gentleman. And then at the end, the last five or 10 minutes of the video, he'll show the whole episode that was just reposted from BBC. And then in the last 10 minutes, he'll talk about the episode 30 years later. He'll say, in that oh. episode, when we showed, like, for instance, they did a thing about car skins, how the development of the car skin did one, of course, about the motor, one about the sewing machine. He does a deep dive. And like I said, because the history is the history, these episodes are still very, very potent with rife with information. And uh, he'll say, oh, in that episode, we've, we faked this because we had the whole camera crew sitting around and we had to do something. And then, uh, so it's pretty interesting when you watch the episode and then he does the, the, the postscript at the end. And he's also 35, 40 years older. So you see the guy in the video and then you see him and like, it's hard to imagine it's the same person. And uh, the secret life of the photocopier, which was great because where did, how do photocopies start? Where, where did the Xerox machine come from? Yeah, so it's just great. So his name is T-I-M-H-U-N-K-I-N. That's his channel, Tim Hunkin. He was the host. And I, I remember him popping up. Awesome. We might have talked about him quickly years ago, two years ago. I maybe. do. Now that I see it, the videos, I do remember you bringing it up yeah. before. He did an episode on Springs. I mean, now he does the episodes. I think he does more like YouTube versions. But this show, I didn't really know about. So I, if you go to this, the secret... Life of Machines is the actual show that the BBC published, and now he was the host of. But now his newer channel, his newer stuff, is just him doing things to the camera like we do. Anyway, check him out. Cool. What you got, David? Uh, a YouTube channel called Dear Modern, and it's all about feng shui. And I thought feng shui kind of meant the flow of a room, but it goes in so much deeper than that of placement of things and how you do why you don't want your back to a door and why you would want a desk in this particular position and i, I started going through the rabbit hole of of this youtube channel and it turns out he also has a book so i just started his his book as well uh, it's just feng shui is as I, I i casually was looking something up and now i'm down this huge huge rabbit hole so it's called dear modern cool uh i have two one i'm trying to look up because i forgot what the name of it was yeah, i pre-ordered a book oh yeah by our buddy andrew huang it's called make your own rules that was the name of the book it's for pre-order. So Andrew Huang is a musician. He's amazing. He's just, I don't even know of another word. 
He's amazing. Um, and he wrote a book that I'm very excited about reading because he's just an incredible musician, but also just a really nice guy and a really, he has like a really interesting way of thinking about things and looking at things. So he wrote a, a book about making music and being a creator and, and all the stuff. And uh, it's for pre-order right now. So I'm excited about it. I'll put a link to it uh, in case you want to check it out. The other thing uh, is a video by Steve Mould. And Steve Mould is, I've met him a couple of times. I don't know him well, but I've met him a couple of times. And he's ridiculously smart. Um, and he makes really cool videos. So the other day he he did this video and I saw it as, pretty much as soon as he posted it. And it was like at 26,000 views. Uh, this was two days ago. Now it is at 2.2 million. And it's called A Cast Saw on Human Skin. And so he does this whole video about how a cast saw works and why it does or doesn't cut your skin when they're cutting oh, yeah. a cast off you. It's oh, pretty I'm cool. Oh, looking at it now. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Gonna... Oh, I follow this um, guy. I guess I stopped watching him. And there's a really funny... He does an ad spot in the video. And it just... I laughed out loud for some reason. It really caught me off hmm. guard because he's talking about how this saw works and then talking about, like, I wonder if I could shave with this. And then he, like, goes on and he does this thing. And all of a sudden, he goes into this ad spot where he's half shaved, <laughs> like, just half of his face. And for some reason, it really made me laugh. But anyway, it's a very cool video. It's neat to see a saw like that, and it's how it's built for its purpose. There's this creator yeah. named Max Flosh, one of my absolute favorites. I, uh, he's the one I have uh, notifications turned on for. And he's so brilliant at doing ad spots. There's one time he took his sister to court. Uh, to uh, I, I forget what the video was about. But while Max was in court, he started to do his ad read. And it was just, it was so oh, good. Wow. It was, uh, yeah. If you, yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's all I got. That's all. Check out Max Fosh okay. as a, uh, extra homework. Cool. All right. You guys got anything else this week? That's it. That's it. I want to see a, a, a pack out. I want to see a pack out, a house pack out system. <laughs> house yeah. pack out system. In case you That's need to take your house with you. Somewhere. Jimmy Jimmy yeah. just sent us photos of what he sees at his <laughs> desk. And I'm just kind of good. Like, it is kind of a museum crap. of uh, crap. And there's there's a lot of stuff going on. There is a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of knives. On that <laughs> a lot of knives. A lot <laughs> There's of a whole lot of yeah. knives. <laughs> <laughs> junk. Wow. Junk. I love this desk, yeah, though. Out there. Oh, look at that little Chevy. It's yeah. because nobody else can see this stuff. It's funny. Anyway, I've, cool. Well, uh, let's go do the after right. show. That, little, that little Chevy was when, when I went through Aaron's stuff. I found that mm-hmm. in Aaron's stuff. So there's a, a couple of Aaron mementos on the table. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks no, for listening, thank everybody. You. And uh, we'll see you next time. Love. <laughs> oh, now I got to do it. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. <laughs>